Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Greg Roman, and I am the director of the Middle East Forum. Today, we welcome you for a special update regarding the situation on Israel. We are joined by Israel advisor, Ashley Perry, your regular guest speaker during this three o'clock slot, Naved Romi, the director of MEF's Israel office, and Yossi Kuberwasser, the former head of Israel's Defense Force Military Intelligence Research Division and a project manager at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. I had the privilege of working with Yossi when he was the Director General of the Ministry for Strategic Affairs. Without further ado, uh, General Kuberwasser, if you'll please share with us for 10 minutes the situation going on on the ground in Israel. Well, yes, I'm trying, 10 minutes. Uh, it's a very complicated situation. We are uh, in the middle of a war, and as I would call it, they call it an operation, but actually it's a war, and a very, a very complicated war that's being waged in two fronts simultaneously, and maybe two and a half. Uh, first, it's the rocket attacks coming from Gaza, uh, mainly by Hamas, but also by the Islamic Jihad. Uh, we all understand that the main reason behind it is that uh, Hamas felt a little bit frustrated when Abu Mazen decided to uh, postpone the elections to the Palestinian parliament, uh, which they were supposed to win. And uh, they now look for other ways to show themselves as the leaders of the Palestinian political arena. And uh, by uh, instigating some unrest in Jerusalem and Temple Mount uh, in the last days of uh, Ramadan, they created a, a slogan uh, chanted by the people in the Temple Mount uh, for Muhammad Def uh, to uh, strike Tel Aviv with rockets. And uh, of course, the, when they responded uh, from uh, Gaza, they, they had a golden opportunity to do, to justify it by the situation in Jerusalem, which is nonsense. But uh, still, it, they used it in order to uh, launch this attack. And uh, we are now in the third day of this uh, uh, round of uh, exchange between us and, the, and the Hamas. Hamas is uh, employed a system in which it can uh, launch, not only Hamas, by the way, Islamic Jihad is also in this uh, story. Uh, they employ the system in which they can launch many rockets simultaneously, salvos, salvos of uh, hundreds of rockets, uh, up to 150 that we saw the biggest one. And they are very proud of that. And they thought that this is going to challenge uh, the uh, Iron Dome and cause a lot of damage in Israel. It did not, although we did have a problem with the Iron Dome for a short period of time. Uh, the Iron Dome uh, battery that was defending Ashkelon was not functioning for a short period of time. But uh, thereafter, the Iron Dome is functioning, but it's, uh, and it managed to thwart many of the attacks. Unfortunately, the Iron Dome has a success uh, ratio of something about uh, 90%, which means that if you launch 150 rockets simultaneously, 15 of them will somehow manage to reach the target. Or let's say that 50 of them are not uh, going to be handled by the Iron Dome in the first place because Iron Dome doesn't handle uh, rockets that are going to hit uh, open areas, but uh, still out of the 100 that do, uh, may, uh, that may reach uh, populated areas, uh, the uh, Iron Dome will miss about 10. So we have uh, some casualties, unfortunately. Uh, already, I think something like six or so from, from the rockets. And uh, at the same time, Hamas and the and Islamic Jihad are trying to hit uh, targets around the Gaza Strip with uh, anti-tank missiles. So today they managed to, to hit an uh, uh, army vehicle and uh, cause the death of uh, one of the soldiers there. And uh, the others are in uh, very uh, problematic conditions. So this is another way that they are uh, doing this business. Now they, from their point of view, their main uh, strategic uh, goal has nothing to do with Israel. They want to kill as many Israelis as they can, of course, but it's not uh, between us and them, this, this war. The, the war is between them and Fatah. And they want to uh, gain strategically in the Palestinian arena. And at the same time, if they can reach the goal that was uh, for which they were running in the elections, which is on the one hand to win, but the, on the other hand is to gain legitimacy. So what they are looking for is legitimacy, international legitimacy for their uh, position as the leading 
force inside the Palestinian community. And these are things that uh, they cannot extract directly from Israel. What they can get from Israel is a show of their strengths and the show of uh, how much damage they can cause to Israel and how they can disrupt the, uh, the ordinary life in Israel, which they of course can with their uh, rockets, because even if we have the Iron Dome, since it's not a foolproof, and since we want to care, since we care a lot of, uh, about the safety of our population, we have to stop uh, the uh, uh, classes in uh, areas that are under threat, which is almost all of Israel at uh, this point. And uh, this is uh, something that affects our uh, ordinary life. And they are very proud of these uh, achievements. Uh, on the other hand, I think that they knew right from the beginning that it's going to come with a price. And uh, the question was how big this price is going to be. The first thing that they uh, that happened was that uh, Israel gave them a, some sort of a safety net by saying, oh, "Listen, we are very upset, but and we are sure going to we are going to hit you hard, but uh, don't worry, we are not going to uh, try to change the uh, basic situation in Gaza. We are not going to force uh, you out of office, out of." Uh, controlling the, the Gaza Strait. And uh, our goal now is to restore deterrence. It's not uh, to uh, change the government in, in Gaza. As long as this is the case, uh, the, the opening position for Hamas is uh, relatively good because whatever price they're going to pay, it is uh, repairable. It may take a long time, but they don't care. Uh, it is repairable. And uh, the, uh, as long as the, the strategic asset of controlling Gaza is not under threat, they can uh, stick to this policy of uh, exchanging fire with Israel, launching rockets towards Israel for uh, some time, whatever time they need, uh, in order not to be shown as if they gave up too early and uh, gain the strategic effect that I was uh, referring to before. But the problem is that I don't think they realize that the price is going to be that big, that uh, significant. Uh, because in, if you look back at uh, 2014, for example, uh, the point at which we started destroying buildings in Gaza was uh, only somewhere towards the 50th day. Uh, here, we started to do it on day two. And, uh, and the houses that we take care of are the headquarters of Hamas that serve also as a basis for producing arms and running the business, running the intelligence efforts and so on and so forth. And they suffered quite a heavy loss in this respect. So I'd say that on the second day or beginning on the late on day two, and definitely today, the balance is shifting towards or against Hamas and the payments that they are paying for any extension of the uh, of this round is, is growing. Uh, today, they lost some of their uh, major operatives when it comes to producing arms. The entire leadership of the arms producing, producing uh, arms, arm of Hamas was uh, eliminated. Uh, the day before, some of the key figures in, in the Islamic Jihad uh, lost their lives. And uh, many other uh, infrastructure facilities and the assets that Hamas has are being hit by the Israeli Air Force. And uh, it's, it's clearly the, the price is, uh, is very heavy and, and felt, but Hamas is not yet in a position where it has to uh, ask for a ceasefire or show readiness to accept a ceasefire. Neither is Israel, uh, which as the balance is shifting towards, uh, towards Israel and against Hamas, has an interest in uh, charging a very, uh, an even heavier price so that Hamas will eventually will say, well, maybe it was not such a good idea to start this uh, thing altogether. We all remember that this was what Nasrallah said after uh, the Second Lebanese War, uh, when he said, had I known that this is what Israel is going to do, especially regarding the Dachia, uh, I wouldn't have started it in the first place. And uh, Hamas is getting there uh, by every passing hour. Uh, it still has, of course, the capability, just like Hezbollah had at that time, uh, to keep launching rockets and the uh, big salvos are still coming and will come, but uh, the price that they are charged is, is getting bigger by the hour. This is uh, what's happening with, uh, with this, uh, in this story. We are still not in a position to change the, the directive. We're not going to say, okay, so if, if this goes on, we shall destroy Hamas. This is not yet uh, in the cards. 
so we can uh, Hamas can go on with it for for a while. What happened? The other the other front that uh, that we are involved in is the in, domestic front, uh, with everything that's happening with the uh, Arab society in in Israel, that took to the uh, to the streets uh, in a very violent manner. Uh, it's all over the place. It's all over Israel. Uh, there are two cores of this activity: one in uh, Acre and one in uh, Lod, uh, where the situation went out of control, and uh, we had to uh, declare curfew and uh, bring in special forces uh, from the police to take care of the situation. And we have, as you saw in the, in the video that you showed before, we have uh, uh, one uh, Jewish uh, person. Uh, very severely, critically con uh, hurt in, in Acre. And uh, the situation is very dire, very dire. And uh, it's, first of all, it's a matter of security, so security of the Jewish population in these uh, mixed towns that is under threat. And secondly, uh, it's, uh, it's a matter of the future of the relations between us, uh, Jewish Israelis and the, the Arab Israelis. So of course, not all Arabs participate in those riots and most of them don't. But there, is enough, there are enough people inside the Arab community that are taking part in, in these riots. And worst of that, worst of that uh, the leadership of the Arab community, especially the members of Knesset, don't speak against it, with one exception of somebody who's not a member of uh, the, neither the Arab uh, joint list and neither the Arab united list, uh, but a uh, member of Meretz, Isawi Fredj, uh, who came out against it. The others are. Um, either in favor or uh, silent. And this is something that's going to have a, a very bitter impact on the issues between us and the, and the uh, uh, Arab society. The, all the idea of integration suffered a very heavy blow. And uh, I don't know how we are going to recover from that. It, it seems to me that people don't understand that the Arabs in Israel share the same uh, basic opinion like uh, Hamas and like Fatah, which is that they don't accept the uh, justification for the existence of a Jewish state in Israel, in, in Palestine, as they call it. They think this is this should disappear. They may be more patient in the, when it comes to the how much time it's going to take before this happens, and what happens until it uh, it, it takes place. But uh, they still also believe that there is no justification for having a Jewish state here. And uh, with Hamas calling them and instigating them to take to the streets and do something about it. Some of them, especially those who are uh, members of uh, the Israeli Hamas, which is the which is the northern uh, uh, party, northern part of the um, Muslim movement, uh, under Sheikh Raid Salah, who is uh, very well known for his uh, uh, way of uh, dispatching this uh, libel about uh, Al-Qaeda, that Israel wants to destroy Al-Qaeda, and also all of that, and was arrested several times for all kinds of uh, uh, incitement and other stuff, uh, these people went out to the street and uh, carried out those terrible uh, attacks that uh, you see on the, on the video here, some of those. But it, I want to emphasize, it's not only there, it's all over the state. It's uh, in the south, in the Negev, on the main streets, it's in the road, road six, the main, the, main, uh, the main axis from north to south. It's on, uh, and many other roads that go next to uh, Arab villages and the uh, towns. It's, it's all over Israel. It's, uh, it's an unbearable situation. And we have to take some special measures in order to uh, handle it. There was a declaration about a special uh, uh, emergency situation in, uh, inside Israel in some places, especially in Lod. Now they're probably going to extend it to some other places. And it's, uh, it's a crazy situation. And lastly, as I said, there's a uh, half uh, front which is in uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. It used to be the main front in the beginning. Now it's relatively calm, uh, but uh, you may never know. It can, it can erupt again. And uh, when it was hot, uh, it was made of uh, several disputes that were happening simultaneously and was a very sensitive and strange uh, time uh, 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 situation when everything happened at the same time. Uh, Yom Yerushalayim, the day of Jerusalem, Laila Tel Kader, the, the holiest day of the, of the Ramadan, when the Quran started to be coming from heaven. Uh, all, all of these things happened at the same time, 
and uh, this uh, was used uh, or abused by Hamas in order to justify their uh, launching of rockets. And the rest is, is, is what I told you right now. And I think it was about a little bit more than 10 minutes. General Kuberwasser, it was an excellent presentation and I hope you'll stay with us until we get to our question and answer time. And for those who are joining us from home, you should be able to type your question into the moderator box at the bottom of your screen. Joining us next for an assessment of the political reaction to the situation in Israel is Ashley Perry, Israel's advisor for the Middle East Forum. Thank you, Greg. Um, as usual, uh, you know, when I was asked to uh, talk, uh, to, to write a sort of uh, title of what we're going to talk about, it was, it was politics, you know, it was Saturday night and the only issue was whether there'd be a government or not. And it certainly seemed like uh, they, they were expecting even to have sworn in a government, maybe even uh, by today. But obviously, a series of events, as, as Yossi laid out, have led to where we are today. So I'm going to deal a little bit with the diplomatic and a little bit of the internal uh, political. First of all, how did we get here? Uh, as, as many of you know, especially from the, from the inter international media, this supposedly started with what was essentially a property dispute in an area of East Jerusalem called Sheikh Jarrah or Shimon Hatzadik uh, neighborhood with property that belonged uh, to Jews uh, before 1948 and they were ethnically cleansed from the region and the uh, property was then given by the Jordanians to uh, some uh, Arab families who never gained title or property uh, over it, ownership over it and then um, I believe it was in the 70s, the, the Jewish owners, uh, you know, basically started uh, court proceedings to try and get it back. And in the end, uh, the court tried to push for a compromise, which was that the Arab families uh, would then pay rent and agree that this was uh, owned by the family that it was owned by. And that went well for a while. They paid rent. Everything was fine. And then because of pressure, uh, perhaps because of incitement, whatever it was, they decided to stop paying rent. Uh, they broke the agreement, they started building on the property again as a tenant, something's not allowed. So the Jewish owners decided to take this back through the court system. And no decision had been, uh, lower courts had decided and it was winging its way through to the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, the way this was portrayed around the world was that uh, Israel was Judaizing, whatever that means, uh, parts of Jerusalem. No, this was a property dispute that was jumped on by extremist factions and sold around the world as an attempt to ethnically cleanse. So that's where we started. And that's where, you know, whenever we have a conflict, we talk about clocks here. We talk about the diplomatic clock. We talk about the political clock. We talk about the military clock. The diplomatic clock started then because there started to be pressure. We heard all these press releases and communiques and statements about uh, Israel should re uh, restrain this settlement building and all these other basically, you know, uh, factors that weren't true. Then we had uh, the, you know, uh, very important nights in Ramadan where Palestinians, uh, you know, went up to the Temple Mount to Al-Aqsa to pray, and they basically attacked uh, police and tried to attack uh, Jewish worshippers at the Kotel below. Again, this was portrayed around the world as uh, Israeli police beating up uh, innocent Palestinian worshippers so that added another layer of it. And you can imagine around the Arab world, uh, this didn't play out very well. We even heard some of our new good friends from the UAE, Bahrain and other places condemning uh, what, what uh, uh, was their perception of events. Um, this managed to uh, prevent uh, what is an annual event, the Jerusalem Flag Parade, which is uh, an event where basically mostly youths carrying Israeli flags, dance through the streets and uh, enter the old city and then uh, meet at the Kotel uh, where there's tens of thousands of people dancing. Uh, because of the threats from Hamas uh, to shoot rockets, this was basically canceled. Hamas understood this as a victory. And because of this, they were emboldened also because of the chance that Yossi talked about, the chance from the worshippers on the Temple Mount, uh, Dave, Mohammed Dave, uh, you know, blast Tel Aviv, launch rockets against Tel Aviv. And there are some who speculate perhaps this got to his head and he thought that uh, uh, the military uh, command of Hamas thought that they could get away with a short, protracted, 
you know, a, a relatively small uh, conflict where they could look like the defenders of Jerusalem, the ones who managed to scare away uh, the flag parades and other things, um, but they didn't count on the response of Israel. What we are seeing now in the international community is the start of the slowing down of the clock. What I mean by that is for the first few days, regardless of statements, there was no great interest to stop Israel. Uh, and that's usually what happens. Obviously, there's very little influence uh, on Hamas other than some of the players in the region. But the international players basically are already starting to gather around Israel. And we see the Assistant Deputy uh, Secretary of State, um, uh, Hadi Amar, who's coming to the region. Uh, he'll certainly try and put a, a certain amount of pressure on Israel. He's meeting with Palestinian leaders as well. We see the EU envoy. We see, for some reason, the resurrection of the quartets, if anyone even remembers who the quartets are, but suddenly the quartets have woken up and are getting involved. We see Russia, we see China. Basically, there seems to be the diplomatic pressure has just started, but certainly what we'll see in the next few days, depending on the pictures that some of these populations are seeing and some of these leaders are seeing, whether there's an uptick in uh, Palestinian children uh, who, who are dying, doesn't matter how they're dying, doesn't matter if it's a Hamas misfire or uh, an accident by, uh, you know, a, an Israeli attack on Hamas. The fact is that these are the sort of uh, pressure points which uh, affect the international community's uh, view on this, and there'll certainly be more pressure. Also, the site, as Yossi said, usually this happens weeks into a conflict, but the sites of demolishing tall buildings, even though these are Hamas infrastructures, they are where they live, they're where they work, they're where they plan, strategy and everything else, uh, certainly it's not something that works well on the international screens and Hamas have a very sophisticated propaganda network and they'll make sure that every single thing that they think will work in their favor on the propaganda front will be shown around the world. So there's certainly uh, that to be looked at. As I said, the pressure has only just started. So far, there, you know, there are calls to to stop, uh, to ramp down, to de-escalate, etc. But nothing uh, more than a you know, UN Security Council meeting, which happens pretty much a uh, uh, vote anyway and doesn't really achieve much. Um, but when we see diplomats start gathering, uh, start putting pressure on the Israeli government, that's when we'll really be able to tell how much uh, pressure this Israeli government can resist. Prime Minister Netanyahu has said today uh, reportedly that this is going to take at least another week. Uh, apparently the IDF have many other targets that they want to uh, get to, and that's perhaps why they're going, you know, quite early after some of the big leaders, some of these buildings, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's, uh, Yossi would obviously be able to talk to this better than I, but uh, how much Hamas can keep up this rate of rocket fire? I've heard speculation, everything from a few days to a week. Um, so maybe they have to ramp it down uh, over the next couple of days. But the next couple of days will be extremely, extremely telling. Internally, it, it, it's very interesting, as, as Yossi started to mention, what I think has happened here, which is unprecedented, at least in a while, is that this conflict has spilled, spilled over into Israel itself. What we've seen on the streets of Lod uh, in, in Acre, Akko, is really unprecedented. The other day we saw hundreds, if not thousands of Arabs marching through Jewish neighborhoods in Lod. Lod is a mixed uh, town or city. And we saw thousands uh, marching through the streets with uh, Palestinian flags, looking to lynch any Israeli Jew they could find, burning Israeli flags, burning cars, burning synagogues uh, and schools, etc. And, and, you know, this is, this is pretty unprecedented. We've seen this, uh, you know, really spread to other places and in Acre, as, as Yossi laid out, uh, they lynched uh, an Israeli Jew who was apparently in a very bad situation. They set uh, fire to his car. There's been quite a few other attempt, uh, attempted lynchings. We see uh, vigilante groups on the other side, Jewish vigilante groups uh, in places like uh, Tiberias, Tiveria, um, and uh, Batyam, uh, smashing Arab-owned shops and looking to what they claim as defend uh, Jewish interests. What this means politically is, is really remarkable because again, if we were talking a few days ago, we were talking about perhaps an unprecedented event where an Arab party for the first time in the history of the state of Israel would either be in the government or at least become a powerful supporting voice outside. There are, there are those who say, well, that's it. There is no way that any government 
especially one where you know it's supported at least by a, a significant number of right and center parties could ever go back to such a thing. What we are seeing is ongoing talks because people like Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, who are trying to form the next government, their view is we shouldn't let Hamas dictate the terms of um, whether we form a government or not. And we have to also look at that clock. And at the end of the day, we see that Yair Lapid only has 21 days left. And we know that according to the Israeli uh, basic laws, he's not allowed to ask for extension. So it's a hard 21 days. So before this violence, what we knew and what we were hearing is a government was almost signed. Uh, we saw the distribution of portfolios. We saw uh, perhaps many of the outstanding issues being dealt with. There were still some outstanding issues, but on the whole, many of them had been dealt with. And there was an expectation at some point by the end of the week, we could have almost had a government. Now that's certainly going to be put off because there's no way this can happen uh, while Israel is fighting essentially a war. And you know, you know, not just in Gaza, but also really on the home front uh, around the country. And there's no way that Naftali Bennett, uh, certainly as the most right-wing element of a, a future so-called unity or change government, can be seen as relying on the Islamist party, even though, uh, uh, just to correct uh, Yossi, uh, the leader of Ram, Mansour Abbas, actually has come out with a few statements. They're probably not what we would certainly like, but they're much further in this type of situation than any other Arab leader would go. Um, he has called for restraint, he has called for calm. Um, he hasn't come out with the usual Arab party line of, you know, this is all about the occupation and, and this is, these are our martyrs, et cetera, et cetera, which some Arab leaders we have heard uh, saying. So he's obviously thinking that there can still be something for him after. Uh, the other option is if Yael Lapid and Naftali Bennett and others aren't able to put together a government in 21 days, we know it then goes back to the Knesset and there's little chance that there'll be 61 members of Knesset who can come together uh, to form a government. So I think we're pretty much, if there is no government by the end of 21 days, I think we are looking at uh, a fifth election, but with all the, uh, the security issues, the diplomatic issues, you know, don't forget coronavirus is, is still around. So it's, there's a lot to be seen in, in the next few days. And certainly everything has affected the diplomatic front, the political front, the internal security front is all going to have a massive effect on these negotiations when and if they uh, take place again. Ashley, thank you very much for your input. And we're going to hopefully have you stick around for questions after Naved Dromi the director of the Middle East Forum's Israel Victory Project and Israel Office gives us a brief overview of what's being talked about in the media and just how the Israeli people are reacting to this situation. If Noved is there. I'm here, I just, Okay, yes. great, thank, thank you, you Noved. Thank you. Um, hello everyone, thank you for uh, hosting this event uh, in this evening. If you were talking to me yesterday, like uh, Greg did on this hour, you would find me in the shelter with my small, uh, uh, with my two daughters. Uh, this evening was uh, um, silent than uh, yesterday in the center of Israel, but um, as Yossi mentioned and also Ashley, um, for a long time, we didn't have rockets in the center of Israel. Um, but I will take it um, to the civilian point of view uh, from the Israeli side. I think the, I will be happy to hear what Yossi thinks about it. I think the Israeli society is very strong. I think that if the, the government, the army will decide to take this operation much farther uh, for another week or two, then the Israeli society will support them, especially in the south of Israel, where they are tired from uh, flying balloons that um, they are burning their fields. Um, and what's really interesting in this uh, in this in this situation is not, um, I think, from the civilian point of view, it's more interesting what Yossi and Ashley spoke about, which what's going on with the. Arab society in Israel, uh, but when it comes to the 
conflict with Hamas, the society in Israel is very strong. They will handle, I think, every operation, even though their leaders might not believe in them um, the same way. Um, what's happening uh, when it comes, um, I should talk about it, about uh, diplomacy and the pressure on Israel, then what we see is that uh, in many other ways, they are trying to put a pressure on Israel by, for example, um, saying that, uh, for example, 40 Palestinians uh, got killed, 10 of them are kids. Now, they won't say that those 10 kids were killed because some of the rockets are falling inside Gaza and killing their own people. And this is something that from our point of view, when we are trying to improve our image, we are trying to spread this message. We are not sure it's working, but it's something that Israel tries to do. Um, the, the biggest challenge here is what we do the day after. And I think that the day after something has to change. It can't end in the same way it began. I will say something I think Yossi won't agree with, but if we're checking it back a few days ago, and what started in Al-Aqsa in Temple Mount is that um, the Arabs couldn't accept the fact uh, that Jerusalem, that we celebrate Jerusalem Day, that we have the uh, March of the Flags, and this is something that happens because Israel is not showing enough um, sovereignty uh, in some of its places, for example, Temple Mount or other places. If Israel in the day after this operation will be more assertive about its sovereignty, about what belongs to it, then I think it might made a difference. Um, I doubt that things will look different on Temple Mount. Um, I will say for a case, uh, not everyone are familiar with that, but today on Temple Mount, which is the most uh, sacred place for Jews, Jews are not allowed to pray. Jews are not allowed to drink from um, the water. Uh, I'm not, the water, I'm not sure how to say it. Um, and this is something that the Arabs are fighting for. And if we want things to change in Israeli society with the Arabs and in front of Hamas, I think that the day after it will have to change first there. And then when it comes to our relationships with the Arabs, it will have to change in the way that we look at them. Because in Israel, unfortunately, some of us, also among the politicians and the Arab politicians, they look at the Israeli Arabs as a population that we need to feel sorry for, that we need to take care of them. Um, Israeli Arabs uh, get benefits when they want to go to university. And I think in Israel, we have to realize that we can look at the Israeli Arabs um, as citizens, that they have duties also as Jews has. And this will change the way things look inside mixed Israel cities. And when it comes to civilian rights and civilian duties, they have to be just like us. It's not possible that uh, in the Negev, for example, the Bedouins uh, are stealing weapons from an army base, uh, from training of the army, and the court released them. Uh, it's not possible that they, they steal weapons and soldiers can shoot back. But this is what happens. And I think that if Israel will win this operation, it will win also these small battles, small battles that happens with Gaza, but also inside Israel. Uh, I hope it gave you another point of view on this operation. If you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer. Okay, now we're going to go back to our full panel, and we'll be joined by General Cooperwasser, Navid Romi, and Ashley Perry. Our first question from the audience comes from Carrie Hillobrand. Uh, I think this might be best for Ashley and for Yossi. Can you address what are the reactions with the governmental and the man in the street 
in the countries that joined the Abraham Accords, especially the UAE. Ashley, I know you touched on this, but can you elaborate? Well, yeah, I mean, as I said, I think, you know, when it was, uh, you know, about the Temple Mount, it was about Al-Aqsa Mosque, then there was probably a feeling that uh, our countries have to at least come out and make their statement known. These are not countries which uh, necessarily are great lovers of Hamas, even though, um, you know, so they have had these, you know, sort of tenuous relationships with Hamas leaders in the past. Um, it is certainly that uh, the the fact that there hasn't been anything really strong, I think, shows that the, the relationships are going to be much, much stronger uh, than this particular round of fighting. Um, but I think, again, depending on where we are with the diplomatic clock, depending how much goes on, depending what kind of images and numbers that we see, unfortunately, there is that sort of limit. You know, it, it's crass to talk about it, but there are certain limits of how many kids, how many people wounded, how, you know, what, what age, uh, and all that sort of thing. That really depends on what Israel will see from the diplomatic uh, arena. Um, but I do believe that there are relationships with these countries, these new countries, uh, especially the UAE and uh, Bahrain will survive this because as I've said many times in, in our weekly webinars, our uh, joint enemy is still Iran and everyone will keep their eye on the ball and they know that this round will end at some point relatively soon, whether it's days or weeks, but Iran will remain a real problem. Even now we're seeing uh, what Iran is doing uh, in the region. So that will not change. So I think the relationships uh, will not change regardless of some pressure and some communiques and press releases. Moving to the topic of the Iran, and this question is for Yossi. Uh, Yossi, do you think that Iran is a puppet master? Or are they testing Iron Dome's ability to deal with a large barrage of rockets over a short time period? And to follow up on that, how much damage can be done to Gaza without a land invasion, relying on Iron Dome, airstrikes, and artillery? Okay, yes. Uh, Iran is uh, definitely involved in everything Hamas is doing. Uh, very close ties, uh, especially when it comes to the uh, research and development of uh, arms and the supply of arms and the use of arms, uh, the planning of the use of arms. In all these matters, uh, Iranians, uh, experts, Iranian experts are deeply involved. And uh, I'm sure they were involved also in, uh, in, this, uh, in the planning of this uh, terror uh, campaign that uh, Hamas did. Uh, beyond that, Iran is very much in favor of uh, continuing it in, in, uh, in starting it and then continuing it because uh, we saw the, the messages coming from Iran, uh, encouraging Iran, uh, encouraging Hamas to continue and uh, also promising it uh, more money. And uh, definitely this is what uh, the Iranians expect uh, Hamas to do. Uh, fortunately, as I said, the Hamas uh, key figures in the efforts to develop this cap these capabilities lost their lives during this uh, uh, the Israeli attacks and this is uh, if you add that to all kinds of problems that the, the Iranians had recently it's uh, definitely painful for them uh, the uh, what was the second question ah can we get rid of all the of all the launchers uh, not, not, not just the launchers but how much damage can be done without a land invasion what can be done to address issues beyond the launchers all the all the infrastructure of Hamas is uh, is uh, vulnerable. We can we can reach it. I don't know if we do, we have the information. If we have the targets, all the all the information, all the targets that we want. But uh, definitely, uh, we have a lot. And uh, and at the same time, I can say that there are probably some some things that we just don't know where they are. So I don't believe that we know everything where it is. But we can inflict very heavy damage and the military infrastructure of Hamas. And uh, we saw it in the couple of, in the couple of days that uh, this uh, operation went on. It, we, Israel attacked about 1,000 targets. Uh, each one of them has some uh, contribution to the capabilities of, of Hamas uh, militarily. So, uh, and this is only two days and uh, everybody could have seen the army coming with the plan for the coming days to the, to the cabinet today. So it's, uh, they have more, uh, more targets. 
and then they will develop targets also during the during the operation. Uh, at one point, the targets are going to run out, <laughs> uh, and it's not that the Israeli military is running out of targets; it's the Hamas <laughs> that is running out of uh, assets. But uh, but whether that that would mean that everything is going to disappear, I guess no, because there are some probably things that uh, probably there are some things that we don't know, and whether they can re. Uh, recuperate from that uh, situation and uh, reconstruct much of it, they can, it's going to take a long time. And uh, when we come, when you speak about restoring deterrence, that's what we want to bring them to, the, to a position where they need the long time to uh, reconstruct what they had in the past. Some of it is uh, irreversible, but some, most of it probably is. And uh, I hope that the Egyptians will do whatever they can, you know, to prevent them, uh, the Hamas from bringing in all kinds of uh, material they need, you know, to, uh, rebuild their capabilities in the future. Uh, it much depends on their commitment to, to doing that. Uh, and uh, when it comes finally to, to, to the first question, I agree fully with everything uh, Ashley said. Uh, I think that uh, strategically speaking, uh, the commitment of uh, UAE and uh, Bahrain, even Morocco uh, was uh, put uh, in challenge by intentionally by Hamas, they pro they believe that by raising the uh, Jerusalem issue and by uh, fighting against Israel, they will put uh, the UAE and Bahrain in an impossible situation, and they will be able to harm the cooperation between them and Israel. And uh, yes, the, on, on the issue of Jerusalem, as Ashley said, there were some uh, statements coming from uh, Bahrain and the Emirates that were expected in Israel. I don't think that uh, they surprised anybody. And that reflected the fact that they are not Zionists and they do not support Israel more than uh, more than the Palestinians. But on the strategic level, I think they remain committed to the agreements. It's in their best interests, and they don't want to be to be uh, toyed by uh, uh, by uh, Hamas. They they know what they want, and they will stick to to these agreements. Thank you, Yossi. This question is for Navet Romi. Navet. Regarding the events that took place in Lod with the lynching attempt last night and now spreading to Batyam, Haifa, Akko, and other mixed Jewish Arab cities, and more of Batyam on the border between Jaffa and that city, what is the Israeli government going to do? You spoke about the need to maybe increase police regulation around army bases, but in the near term, in the immediate future, what will Israel do to ensure that it reduces friction between Jews and Arabs in mixed and shared Israeli cities? It's a good question. And to be honest, um, I don't know. I don't know. I was sure that this evening was going to be easier and much calmer, but it doesn't seem this way. We have a one Jewish, um, which is now in the hospital trying to save his life after a lynch. We have an uh, Arab after a lynch by Jews in Batyam. Uh, it seems like, unfortunately, it seems like the government um, just doesn't take control over the situation. I think that what can be done in the long run after this, after these events are over, I think what has to be done is that, as I said before, we need to make sure that the, 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 the answer is complicated. First, we have to make sure there is, um, there is a distance in the identity between Israeli Arabs and the Palestinians. Some of the Israeli Arabs are identifying with the Palestinians um, due to uh, Israeli um, left organizations that are promoting this identity, promoting these pro-Palestinian uh, feelings. Um, I think this is um, something that happens more among the youth of the Israeli Arabs. If you ask their parents, I think their parents are at home right now, losing control over their children. Um, and Israel, the way it can somehow disconnect the connection between those Israeli Arabs to the Palestinian narrative is to defeat Hamas. This is the way I see it. Once you defeat the Palestinian narrative, then you can disconnect this connection. Uh, so this is one thing that we can do 
in this area. When it okay. comes to life in Israel. I want to really quickly just take that one point and move the Yossi for one quick second. Uh, just in terms of the immediate issue, Yossi, the last time that there was military rule over a Israeli domestic city center was 1966 when the emergency regulations from 48 were lifted. Um, what is the army's plan? What is the border police's plan to make sure these riots are stamped out? I think the best way to handle it is to, first of all, uh, really have a lot of uh, police in the streets. And that's what we are doing right now. We call the reserves of the police and uh, bring them uh, and we take some of the, some of the police or the border police from the West Bank and uh, bring them over to, uh, to the heated uh, areas in, inside Israel. And uh, once you have more police over there, there's a better chance that the uh, order will be uh, reached and uh, observed. That's, uh, the second thing is that we have to uh, do something about the leadership. I can tell you that, uh, for example, there are some uh, mayors that uh, came out against uh, the riots uh, with joint statements together with Jewish neighbor, uh, Jewish mayors that uh, live next, uh, that uh, have uh, preside over cities next nearby. These are these are the kind of initiatives. It has to come from the leadership. It's, uh, you cannot uh, just rely on, on power because this cannot last for forever. And uh, that this is what uh, what needs to be done. And I agree also with uh, uh, Nave, even though she thought that I'm going to be against it. That, uh, that uh, uh, the rule of law should prevail all over the place. And this, and this, this calls for a change in, in culture because the Arab society in Israel is not uh, accepting the rule of law in general, not only in the context of uh, confronting Israel. It's uh, when it comes to uh, criminal activity, when it comes to, uh, they don't look at the police as the place to go for if there is a problem. Uh, they solve the problems uh, in a different way. And uh, this is something that has to be uh, taken care of uh, immediately. And the, the, this cultural change has to take place immediately. And uh, all these measure, measures together can, in my mind, have some impact because at the end of the day, many people understand that something is wrong in this picture. This cannot last forever. And uh, I think that, uh, I hope it's going to be mitigated at least for Thank you. I, I do want to kind of reach out back to Neve, but first on the Israeli political side and also on the general street side. But first, if we can address this from a political angle. Ashley, uh, one of our viewers has asked, is this the death knell of the idea of bringing the Arab parties or an Arab party, specifically Mansour Abbas, into a coalition government? And if it is, What's the opportunity for a national unity government as a result of this uh, new conflict? I'd just like to take that even a step back. And sometimes in these situations, you have to always look at whose interests uh, are served by a particular situation, not necessarily whether they led it, but whose interests. And I think, again, if you look at Arab society in the last year or so, there's been a movement towards uh, the Israeli Jewish majority. Uh, with Iran, uh, with other elements. And what we've seen is the joint Arab list, um, which basically was the, up until recently, the only voice uh, of, of Arab society was basically mostly involved with the Palestinian issue as Nabeer talked about. That was their issue, that was their rallying call. Uh, but what we see over the last year because of growing violence, mostly internal in Arab towns and cities, we saw that the vast majority, according to every survey that I saw, the issue which really vexed them the most was uh, security, policing. They wanted to stop the, the, the sort of gang violence. And this is something that very much Ram said, you know, if we're inside, not necessarily the government, but inside the center of Israeli politics, if we're, if we're there to, to be part of the decision-making process, we can get greater budgets for this. And we saw, that even uh, uh, Mansour Abbas was given the Knesset committee in charge of the Negev, which, uh, you know, Nevez point is sort of a little bit absurd uh, considering what's going on there. But we definitely saw that this was, they were moving away from the Palestinian issue. This was more internal. They wanted to be, they wanted other issues. So now with the violence, it's certainly been able to reframe it back towards the joint list, which is the more extreme 
party in, in Israeli politics, and certainly they gain from it. And they can uh, go to Ram supporters again, especially if there is a fifth election, and say, "Look what look what your guy did. He wanted to try and join the Zionists, and look what they did to us. Look what they're doing to us. They don't want peace with us. We have to go back to our hardline position." So there's certainly a lot of factors that have been played in. Whether this affects um, a unity government, Ram will almost certainly not be in the government. What they're hoping, the so-called unity or change bloc, is that they will support them from the outside because to form a government, you just need a majority. Um, the change bloc without Ram is 58. Uh, with Ram on the outside voting either in favor or abstaining, the opposite bloc will not be able to uh, have the necessary numbers uh, to be able to block it. So that's something which is very much being worked on. It certainly complicates everything. Uh, Naftali Bennett openly met with Mansour Abbas proudly, or not so proudly, whatever you want to say, put out communiques, even put out pictures uh, of the other parties as well. Uh, it's going to be a lot more difficult, especially someone like Naftali Bennett. But considering what he's doing, uh, I think there is a strong chance of uh, still being able to scoop something out because Naftali Bennett probably knows that at this point, he's not going to make it to the next Knesset. Uh, only about a quarter of his voters, and don't forget he's only on six seats, uh, approve of what he's doing. Uh, he's being attacked incessantly by Likud, incessantly by the Religious Zionist Party, which is demonstrating outside the houses of all the Yamina uh, members, even during this uh, conflict. Uh, so I think Naftali Bennett knows that this is his one chance of remaining on the map for now. Uh, if they do go to elections, he's basically going to be wiped out. So I think that there's still enough interest there from uh, many of the major players to still try and cobble something together. But if the conflict goes on for another 21 days, it's, that's going to be almost impossible to form a government. But the likelihood is it won't. So we'll just have to see what the uh, attitude is after and what the feeling is. And don't forget, I'm sure all the politicians are constantly polling within their own party base and wider society. So that will play into it. But uh, I think there's still, from what I'm hearing, from what I'm seeing, there's still a great interest to form this uh, so-called unity and change government. So we've talked about the politicians, but let's focus on the voters for a second. Navet, what's the reaction in terms of how the two supporting entities or the, the blocks of citizens that would support the Likud-led bloc or the Gushishinui, the, the change bloc, what are they saying now? Ashley gave us an analysis of the situation regarding Bennett's party, Yamina. What are other political parties saying as it relates to the action they want to see related to this new conflict? Um, it's a complicated question. Uh, to be honest, I don't think that this conflict somehow affects the other parties. If I look at Gidon Sar party, for example, um, New Hope, Tikva Hadasha. I don't see how this conflict somehow affects him to change his mind and to agree to sit with Netanyahu. Um, I think this is the one principle that Gideon Saar is really, um, will not change in any way. Uh, when it comes to other parties from the left, like uh, Meretz, Avodah, uh, um, Labour, um, and uh, Yeshatid, I don't see how they sit with Netanyahu. I do think that if Yair Lapid mandate goes back to the Knesset, there is a chance to get 61 because I believe that Naftali Bennett wouldn't go, as Ashley said, to fifth elections because he know he won't survive them. And then the Likud will get uh, maybe guns or maybe some people from New Hope because they also know that if they go to fifth elections, they won't survive. So I believe that if it goes back to the Knesset, then there is still a chance to get a 61 seats. And also what's happened, maybe I, I should correct myself. One party which is interesting in this situation is Chosen um, Israel, the party of uh, Gantz. Uh, since this conflict began, we see that Netanyahu and Benny Gantz got closed. Um, the security situation put them in an area that um, allows them, in Hebrew we call it, uh, to get off the ladder um, and sit together. And if Gantz did it before, I don't see a reason he won't do it now. 
and use the situation to sit with Netanyahu, and then Naftali Bennett will have no choice to join. Um, this is the way I see it, and I think the voters of Gantz um, will approve it. Because if you remember, Gantz was almost uh, 35 seats last time, right, Ashley? Um, and he is now eight together seats. With, together with Lapid. Yeah, together with Lapid. He is now eight seats, but those eight seats that voted for him did it even though he sat with Netanyahu. So I think they will peacefully live with him sitting with Netanyahu again. From the other side, the right-wing parties, and, and the Haredim, the ultra-Orthodox, I don't see a way they sit with the left parties. Okay, uh, thank you, Navet, for that analysis of, of the different parties. Yossi, really quick, what's the chance that Hezbollah gets involved in the action? I think for the time being, the chances are small. Uh, they are watching, they reflect on uh, the situation, they encourage Hamas, of course, but this is a Palestinian issue, so let the Palestinians run it. And uh, the situation in Lebanon is so complex and co uh, so uh, dire that for them to, to be seen now as intervening in something that is not theirs and putting Lebanon in danger for that is, is uh, very strange. But, you know, to get into the head of Nasrallah is not easy. Ashley, has President Biden spoken with Prime Minister Netanyahu? What's the feeling about whether or not Biden will give full support to Israel? Um, to the best of my knowledge, the highest level is uh, Secretary of State Lincoln, uh, who's spoken to Netanyahu. There was a readout of that where Netanyahu thanked him for uh, a support. Uh, early on in this, there were some, let's just say, more problematic statements about moral equivalence between what's going on between Hamas and Israel. Uh, in the last few hours, or perhaps the last day, there's been certainly an improvement in that uh, Secretary of State Lincoln has mentioned for the first time that Hamas is actually a terrorist organization and there's no equivalence. Whereas, as I said, some of the, uh, like the White House spokeswoman uh, Psaki and others mentioned this moral equivalence, but uh, Secretary of State Blinken has certainly, uh, you know, uh, basically mentioned the fact that this is a democratic country fighting a terrorist organization, which is far fairer. Uh, so we see a, an understanding at this point in time uh, with the Biden administration. We'll see what happens when the Assistant Secretary uh, arrives in Israel, someone who's not seen as the best, uh, the greatest friend of Israel. If we look at his reputation in the Obama administration and previous administrations, um, but everything can happen. We could be talking 24 hours. If there's a lot of other people who are being killed, the numbers start to rise. The attitude could change in one day in 48 hours. So we're still very early on in this. Uh, at the moment, um, Israel has a lot of space, but that can certainly change uh, diplomatically within 24 or 48 hours. We have three minutes left. I'm gonna ask each of you to give a one minute commentary on what happens in the next 48 hours. Yossi, you on the military, Neveh, you on the streets, Ashley, you in the Knesset. Let's start with Neveh. On the streets, I think we will see um, a real, I think we're going to see a relaxation because I think now we are in the top. This is the most terrible situation we can get to, I believe, and maybe I want to believe that from now on, it will somehow um, get relaxed. Ashley, what's happening in the political arena? As I said, the, the, the contacts have not stopped. The uh, negotiations are ongoing there. I would argue at around 90% uh, finished, but everything will be put off until the conflict is over. So really it's the security clock that's defining now the political clock. Yossi, what happens in the security arena? Well, I think that if, this, uh, if the people think rationally, Hamas has little to gain from the continuation and it has much to lose. And uh, that's why it may start pushing towards some sort of a ceasefire. Israel has a different opinion, but at the same time, uh, you never know if somebody would not be hurt and that uh, one bomb can reach a uh, hit a place with a lot of people and God knows what's happening there. So maybe it's also good for, from the Israeli point of view, rationally speaking, to, uh, to, do, to, to listen to. And the, the Americans are coming with an initiative the armor is supposed to arrive, and uh, I think that they are going to ask for a ceasefire. That's rationally, 
but people do not work here according to ratio so it's uh, yeah. according to reason what we what is going to happen unreasonably is uh, that the, the exchange is going to continue and we shall see more salvos and we shall see more attacks in, in Gaza and uh, as I, I agree with Nave uh, Hamas all, all the time speaks about uh, new surprises that uh, they want to, to show us uh, but uh, what can surprise us now? It's, uh, that, that's the question. Uh, we sort of, uh, okay, we were already surprised and we are, we are overwhelmed by the huge salvos, okay, and the, the uh, seven rockets to Jerusalem. We, we are, we've seen that, we, we understand, okay. Uh, so I don't know what kind of new uh, surprises we should expect. Brigadier General Yossi Cooperwasser, Naved Romi, and Ashley Perry, thank you for joining the Middle East Forum special webinar this afternoon or evening your time. For more information on the Middle East Forum, you can check out our website at meforum.org or on YouTube at Middle East Forum. Have everyone has a good afternoon, a good evening, and you join us for a regularly scheduled webinar this Friday. Thank you very much and have a nice day.